0: up, Straight Talk with Art Levine. Our guest tonight, Dr. Craig Smith, Director of the Center for First Amendment Studies, discussing the Supreme Court nomination process.
1: Opinions expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect the views of Charter
0: Communications nor its sponsors. We recognize our obligation to present opposing points of view by responsible spokespersons. For information, please contact the Director of Programme. She stands in the face of evil and will
1: is brought to you in part by Southern California Edison for over 100 years life powered by Edison the Press-Telegram your local newsleader for over 100 years and Long Beach Magazine Coastal Living City Style
0: Join us for tonight's edition of Straight Talk. And now, your host, Art Levine. Good evening and welcome to Straight Talk. We're delighted you're joining us tonight. Our guest, one of the most popular regular guests on the show, Dr. Craig Smith, the director of the Center for First Amendment Studies here at California State University, Long Beach. Craig, welcome back to Straight Talk. Good to be here again. Craig is also the editor of a book coming out shortly, a First Amendment profile of the Supreme Court, coming out this summer. And we're here to discuss the Supreme Court nomination process, which is a fascinating process, Craig.
1: It is. Uh, You know, they make these people go through all kinds of hoops. The FBI has to vet you. Uh, then the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee has to vet you, and then you have to be voted on uh, in the United States Senate.
0: We've divided this up into kind of three uh, phases. First is the, the president has to scour the country to pick a nominee, and then, of course, it goes to the Senate Judiciary Committee for these fascinating hearings, and then the third piece is the final vote by the United States Senate Two thirds vote to confirm or reject. Just,
1: just a majority. Just, just a, a majority. majority. Yeah. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Two thirds is for ambassadors and and, and cabinet.
1: And, and, but
0: only a majority for the Supreme that's Court. Right. Okay. Well, uh, how does the president select the nominee?
1: Well, one would hope that the the you know the president looks for some sort of balance on the Supreme Court, but the president also wants someone that represents his views on the Supreme Court. Um, evidently from what we have learned Barack Obama wants somebody on the Supreme Court that can stop the 5-4 division that's been occurring lately in many cases he would like to see more consensus 5-4 just means one vote flips and you reverse the whole decision and there were two recent important decisions changing long standing existing law that were just 5-4 Miranda right and campaign finance right the Miranda rule was just last uh, just earlier and uh, what it did was it further restricted what uh, uh, rights that defendants had in terms of being read their rights. Uh, it said that you don't have to say that you don't want to say anything. Um, you, All I have to do is read you your rights, and then if you confess, that's too bad for you. So 5-4 it narrowed Miranda protection, right.
0: and of course the, Supreme, uh, the campaign financing opened the gusher for money,
1: which was a major change. This was the Citizens United versus the Federal Elections Commission case. And again, it was five justices versus four justices, the five conservatives versus the four semi-liberals. But it overturned a 100 years of precedent on a 5-4. And your point is we should not be changing important law
0: just 5-4. The right. classic example, of course, was the Warren Court 9 nothing Brown versus Board of Education. Right, in on 1954. Right. You know. right. So uh, uh, the president has chosen Elena Kagan right. as his nominee, yes. and where does she stand in the grand scheme of things?
1: Well. You know, she's never been a sitting justice, so we don't know what kind of uh, decision-making she's going to be engaged in. She is currently the Solicitor General for the president. Before that, she was dean at Harvard. Before that, she worked in the Clinton administration. Um, But her reputation, both in the Clinton administration and in the Obama administration, uh, administration, is that she makes things happen. She, she brings people together. She's pragmatic. She brought the faculty together at Harvard uh, Law Exactly, when she was dean. Uh, that, that, that she's a liberal, but a pragmatic one. Very much like the justice that she's going to replace if she gets approved, John Paul Stevens was a pragmatic kind of liberal, sometimes worked with the conservatives, sometimes with the liberals on the court. And I think that's what Barack Obama's looking for. And, of course, the selection of a Supreme Court justice is one of the most important
0: and enduring legacies of a president, because the justice stays long after the president is out of office.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, Earl Warren was appointed in 1953 (laughs) and didn't leave until 1969, and and Dwight Eisenhower said it was one of the worst things he ever did because (laughs) he he influenced so much policy for such a long time. So it's it's a
0: very, very important. Now let's, in the time we have left in this first segment, talk about the two competing judicial philosophies, judicial activism and restraint. Activism says that uh, the court should be stepping to the forefront in making needed social changes, particularly when Congress is slow to act or doesn't
1: act at all. The conservatives say what? Well, the conservatives believe in reading the Constitution into its original context. What did the framers of the Constitution have in mind when they wrote it? And that's what we have to go by. And if you want to change that, then you need to amend the Constitution. You or go to Congress or, and go, or change the law through congressional. A, 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 absolutely. Where the activists generally believe that the Constitution is a living, evolving document and we need to reapply it as times change. As a graduate of Yale
0: Law School, we were in that second category. We believed yeah. in the living Constitution. But they're both respectable points of view. Justice Frankfurter, a classic example of a conservative, yeah. and now, of course, on the court... Uh, who would be the, uh, Anthony Scalia would be a, a classic conservative.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, Anthony Scalia would be a conservative. Uh, Clarence Thomas would be a conservative. Uh, uh, Anthony Kennedy would be a conservative. Uh, they have the majority, but barely. Yeah. And uh, uh, Elena Kagan would fall where in that
0: spectrum of activism versus conservative?
1: I think toward the middle, but on the activist side. Yeah. I, I think she's going to pursue A liberal agenda, but not one that is so radical that it offends the conservatives. She's going to try and pick off a conservative or two if she gets on the court and bring them over to the liberal side on some decisions. Okay. Okay, we'll be continuing
0: this fascinating discussion right after these messages. Stay with us.
1: Electricity is different from any other product we use. We can't store it. We must use it wisely, but can't do without it completely. And there's no substitute for this special form of energy that brings us light, comfort, and progress. That's why California needs new standards that can keep utilities strong, guard against another power crisis, and protect consumers from the kind of shortages that often affect other commodities. Because electricity is different.
2: When the Port of Long Beach employs more people for new projects and construction workers for improvements, it has a positive effect for local businesses like my restaurant, Las Islitas. The Port keeps the whole community busy. (laughs) Especially our cook, Jorge. (laughs) The Port of Long Beach, investing in jobs, investing in you. For over 80 years, Community Hospital of Long Beach has served the greater Long Beach community by providing the best medical care possible with a focus on clinical excellence and a caring, compassionate, personalized approach for every patient. It is our goal to be the community's preferred health care provider. Providing a 24-7 rapid response emergency department, a state-of-the-art cancer center, and a free wellness and diabetes program, we are proud to introduce CHLB's new bariatrics program featuring a safe and effective lap band system. Community Hospital of Long Beach, when you have a choice, choose the best.
0: Continuing our discussion on the Supreme Court nomination process process with our distinguished guest, Dr. Craig Smith. Uh, In this segment, we want to look at the Judiciary Committee hearings in in the Senate Judiciary Committee. It's a fascinating study in in constitutional history.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I I think the current atmosphere of making these hearings public and and then becoming controversial started uh, in the Johnson administration in 1968 when Earl Warren wanted to leave the court, finally, uh, and he wanted Johnson to... Chief Justice Earl Warren. Chief Justice Earl Warren. He wanted Johnson to appoint somebody to to replace him. And Johnson turned to a sitting associate justice, Abe Fortas, and said, Abe, you're my friend. You've been an advisor. I'm going to make you the chief justice. And what happened was they discovered that Abe Fortas was receiving payments from the Wolfson Foundation, which was inappropriate. And so his nomination, not, not only was his nomination for chief justice killed, but he had to step down from the court. Then Johnson lost, uh, the, John, uh, the administration lost the election running Hubert Humphrey. Nixon became president and got two appointments so right Nixon away. So Nixon walks in and he has two vacancies to fill, right. which is very unusual, maybe historically unique. And what happens? What happens is on his first one, uh, he replaces uh, Chief Justice Warren, who steps down uh... with uh... uh justice burger who becomes the new chief justice all's well and good that went easy now you still have the old ford seat that's open and so now he tries to go south uh... his southern strategy to bring southern democrats into the republican party now, just
0: by way of context uh, you remember that president johnson had after president kennedy was assassinated moved ahead with an ambitious civil rights agenda that's right civil rights act of nineteen sixty four Voting Rights Act of 1965, Civil Rights Act of 1968, and he realized that politically he would be losing the South, but President Johnson believed in the importance of civil rights. That's right. But this presented an opening for the Republicans, and Nixon took advantage of it with the Southern strategy, appealing to the Southerners
1: who objected to these civil rights uh, That's right. uh, legislations. That's right. And so his next nomination was G. Harold Carswell, a judge from Georgia, and it was then discovered during the vetting process that Carswell had made racial remarks during the 1948 uh, presidential campaign. So he got eliminated. So Nixon goes south again. This he, is part of the vetting yeah. during the Judiciary Committee hearing. That's right. So Nixon went south again to a guy named Clement Hainsworth, a South Carolina judge, and it turned out that he had the same problem that Ford has had, that he was taking some money, <laughs> he had ruled on some cases, it, it was it was very remote, but they felt... They couldn't be hypocritical, the Republicans. They had gotten rid of Fortas, so down went Clement Haynesworth, and so finally Nixon says, and you can see this on, on the tapes and in the transcripts, he says, "What about that clown Renchberg <laughs> down in the Justice Department?" It's not even his name. And 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 Haldeman says, "You mean you mean Renquist?" And he says, "Yeah, Renquist, Renquist. Let's put him on the court." And so they nominated Renquist, who eventually became Chief Justice. And he had no judicial experience, and that's relevant to our current nominee. Yeah, she doesn't have. Uh, Elena Kagan is in the same boat as uh, William Rehnquist. Neither one of them ever sat as a judge. A couple of other fascinating episodes: that of Bork and Clarence Thomas. Well, Bork was the first ideological uh, fatality. You may remember that Joe Biden had had been dumped out of the presidential race in 1987 so he sought revenge by stopping Ronald Reagan's nomination of Robert Bork to the Supreme Court and Bork is a brilliant constitutional scholar who's written many many articles and has a long trail of writing but very conservative very conservative very clean no financial problems no scandal so for the first time they go after a nominee based on what that nominee has written in terms of his ideological approach and 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 that eventually did Bork in as he being too conservative. Let me ask you as a
0: constitutional scholar, what is the right criteria for up or down on a nominee? Is it right to reject someone because he or she is too conservative or too liberal? Or does the president have the right, to, since the president was elected by all the people, to select who he or she wants?
1: I think as long as it's a person of character that their ideological bent should not matter. That's the prerogative of the president. That's why we've elected the president. If, they've, if, if the nominee has a financial problem, has done something illegal, of course, they should be not So in your view, selected. the
0: Senate confirmation process requiring a majority vote, as you pointed out, is not to reject someone because of philosophy, but right. because of these other things.
1: That's right. That's right. But others have a different view than you do. Absolutely. And then, of course, after Bork, we had the huge controversy over Clarence Thomas. Uh, when, during the, again, during the vetting process, and quite late in it, they discovered this testimony before the FBI, uh, Anita. Anita Hill, uh, who said that she had been sexually harassed by Clarence Thomas, and that led to a huge blow-up, a second round of hearings, and that's where Clarence Thomas said, you know, this is a public televised lynching of an uppity black man, and I won't stand for it. Now, he would survived. you say he
0: was playing the race card in that statement? I
1: think he played whatever he had to play to get nominated, and he barely made it through. But he got on the court, and he's been there, and and he hasn't been a problem as far as most people are concerned. Fascinating uh, episodes in constitutional history. Well,
0: in the next segment, we will talk about what is likely to happen uh, with the current nominee. We'll be right back. <music>
2: People need a hero. They need something they can believe in. That's where dog the water copper comes in. Oh no! All right, you little trail sniffer. I've been watching you take a shower for the past 40 minutes. Think of all that water you're wasting.
0: Well, I mean, that's really weird, dog. I'm totally naked right now. We're back at dinner discussion of the Supreme Court nomination process with our distinguished guest, Dr. Craig Smith. So we've covered the nomination picked by the president, the Judiciary Committee hearings, and now it's on the floor of the Senate. Describe that briefly.
1: Well, the senators are allowed to debate the nominee, and and this can get very vociferous. Uh, The debates over Bork uh, got quite acrimonious on the floor of the Senate. Uh, I doubt that this one will become that acrimonious, but it will be debated on the floor of the Senate, and then there's an up-and-down vote. Can they filibuster a Supreme Court nomination? Yes, you can filibuster a Supreme Court nomination, but they generally will wait that one out. They will just keep it on the floor until it dies. So
0: that has not been successfully done,
1: a filibuster?
0: No, no. Well, let's talk about the complexion of the court, and it's fascinating that if uh, nominee Kagan is elected, uh, is is confirmed, that all of the sitting justices will be graduates of Harvard or Yale.
1: That's right. Now, actually, uh, Ginsburg went to Yale but graduated from Columbia, but she did most of her work at Yale, so all of them have this Harvard-Yale connection. I think that's a little unhealthy. And furthermore, all nine will all be Jewish or Catholic. Yes, yeah, six, six Catholics, three, three Jewish, Jewish, right? Which is remarkable. And I'll tell you another thing that's remarkable: all three women are from New York City. Oh so my God, we are getting New York City. <laughs> <laughs> and Elena Kagan, I think, comes from near your neighborhood, the West Side of them, grew up in the West Side. Fascinating, right? It
0: uh, must be something in the water there.
1: I guess. I guess. Well, uh,
0: also, there's a historic black seat
1: uh, ever since Thurgood Marshall. Yep, yeah, and Clarence Thomas holds that. Uh, he's very conservative. He believes that there is a higher law than the Constitution, and sometimes that infiltrates into his decisions through the Declaration of Independence. So he's a very independent conservative justice. And, of course, there used to be one female seat. Now there are three. There will be three, <laughs> uh, and, and that's... Uh, you know, that at least is getting to the proportion in the population. But the religious factor here is is there will be no Protestant on the court, no atheist, no anything else, all Catholics and Jews. That's well, it. should the
0: Supreme Court represent demographically the country?
1: I think this is getting to the point where it's a little bit out of hand. Yeah. Um, you know, you try to do that. You can't do everything. It's only nine seats. Right. So, you, you know, you used to have your Jewish seat, your female seat, which, you, you know, Sandra Day O'Connor was the first one for that, then your black seat, you know, uh, to these different groups. I don't like choosing justices on that basis. I think we should just find the best person for the job and put them in there. Let's
0: go back to the philosophy. Uh, where do you stand on... Uh, restraint versus uh, activism. I mean, in a sense, if a court becomes very active, you can say they become a super legislature. They become a bunch of
1: ayatollahs imposing their own will. We don't want that. Right. Here's what I believe, just personally. I would read the Constitution strictly, interpret it as to what it says. If it's ambiguous, then let's go back and see what the framers meant by that phrase, by reading it into the original intent. Uh, when they passed that amendment. And, and and that gives me a context for an interpretation of the Constitution that I think is fair. If you don't like something in the Constitution, like if you want to control guns now, amend the Constitution. Don't bend the amendment.
0: I think, uh, and this was, I think, in the Carolina footnote of one famous case, the court has a particular obligation to step forward where the political process breaks down and where you can't remedy it through the political process, such as denial of the vote to blacks in the South. I think the court has a particular obligation to protect the integrity and fairness of the political process.
1: Yeah, I I think that's true. And I think when you get into something like the crisis we had in the presidential election of 2000, that the court had to step in and settle that one way or another. The great irony, a conservative court taking a very activist role in, in Gore versus Bush. Well, you had the liberals on the court defending states' rights, so they were hypocritical, and you had the conservatives on the court attacking states' rights and going into Florida actively and stopping the recount. Proving so both, that- both sides were pretty craven in that decision. Where you stand depends on where you sit. That's right. That's right.
0: Okay, we'll be coming back with the remaining portions of Straight Talk after these messages. Stay with us.
2: Founded in 1976, Pauly's Gourmet Coffee is Southern California's most complete gourmet coffee store. Polly's has the best tasting coffee, freshly roasted every day right in the store. Plus a wide selection of teas, an in-house bakery, espresso bar, patio dining, and more. We also offer Wi-Fi, free internet access for all of our customers. Our nationwide clientele agree, when it comes to coffee, there's only one name to remember. pollys 4606 East 2nd Street, welcoming you into Belmont Shore.
1: more motivating than a great barbecue meal at Naples Rib Company.
2: Victory or not, Naples Rib Company, great game plan.
0: Welcome back. Our May-June issue of the Straight Talk magazine is now out on the stands. We invite you to pick up a copy and enjoy it. Uh, It's distributed at our quality sponsors throughout town. You also can get your own copy sent directly to you electronically by joining our Straight Talk viewers club. And go to our website, straighttalktv.com, become a member of our Straight Talk Viewers Club. We have over 1,800 folks who get their uh, invitations in the mail, get their newsletter in the mail, and we invite you to to join that club. Craig, uh, your prediction as to whether uh, Elena Kagan will be confirmed?
1: Well, they're going through a lot of papers at the Clinton Library where she, uh, her, her papers are stored from what she did in Clinton. But barring any surprises, I think she will be confirmed and will be a rather pragmatic liberal on the court. And I think that's the best that Republicans can hope for. So they should not uh, vigorously
0: object to this nominee because it ain't going to get any better than this I from their that, perspective. I think
1: that's right, and, and, unless something comes up in her record that we don't know about.
0: And finally, how will, assuming she's confirmed, how will her presence on the court change our lives, the lives of an average American family?
1: Well, I would hope that we would get more consensus on the court so that it had a better credibility. With these decisions instead of five fours let's get some six threes and seven twos on these major decisions that they're making that affect our lives
0: and there's an art of compromise of writing these decisions to pluck in another vote or two to 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 take into account that view and still come up
1: with the decision you want you can write it the narrower you write the decision the narrower the application as you know the more consensus you get The overreaching is what divides the court, and the Citizens United case may be a case of overreaching where they overturned a hundred years of precedent and all they had to do was rule in the single case before them.
0: Well, Craig, thank you so much for again joining us. Good luck with your new book coming out this summer, which you edited, and thank you at home for being our guest, and join us next week, please, for the next edition of Straight Talk. Good night, everyone.
1: Straight Talk has been brought to you by Southern California Edison, the Press-Telegram, and Long Beach magazine, and remember, Straight Talk is viewable worldwide, 24/7 at StraightTalkTV.com.